Jesus is come into our world enemy territory and he's being spit upon and cut and hit and all that kind of stuff. But in the end, he knows you may take my physical life, but you can't take my spiritual, my eternal life because I will conquer and I will bring justice. gentlemen welcome to the salty pastor podcast we are salty podcast because we want to coach you up to think for yourself we want you to answer the most important question about your life why are you here (laughs) does your life have any value to it what is the point of having another day in life therefore if you want to think for yourself if you want to answer the biggest question of life for yourself if you're tired of being manipulated gaslighted or deceived and you want to stand on a firm foundation then the Salty Pastor Podcast is for you. Yep. Every Tuesday, we dig into the Bible to finding the answers of the most important questions of life. And then on Thursdays, we apply those truths to know what's going on around us. So give yourself a great Christmas present this season and become a regular Salty Pastor listener and join the Salty crew. And give a thumbs up and subscribe, and you'll be glad you did. This is the centerpiece of the Salty Pastor Podcast. The Salty Pastor himself, <laughs> Dr. Douglas Peak. Hey, everybody, I'm glad you're here, and yeah, as uh, Jesse said, give yourself a great Christmas present. Uh, hit the like button if if you're on a podcast that likes. Uh, if you're on Apple Podcasts, give us a thumbs up or five stars or something. Yep. And also subscribe on whatever platform you're on. Just subscribe to it so that it comes to you, and you'll be able to get those. We're excited to do this. We think that the Salty Pastor has really gained ground, and it's kind of established itself. We've done over 350 episodes, Mm -hmm. so it's been going for a while, and it's something you can count on. It's not a fly-by-night deal, and it's not trendy. It's just good, old-fashioned learning and thinking for yourself. So we're glad you're here, growing your faith, and pursuing the biggest questions of life. Absolutely. And we are in our final four weeks of 2023 and what a year it has been. The entire year we have focused on the kingdom of God. That has been our theme, our focus, and this is the gospel message that Jesus preached. The kingdom of God is now in our midst and Mm -hmm. it has come to us in Jesus and now we can live in it. Yeah, and our focus for the rest of the year as we kind of uh, finish out 2023 is the birth of Jesus. Mm. You know, how, how Jesus came into this world to bring us a kingdom of God here on earth. And that's really what our focus is going to be to cap off our our annual or our year-long series about the kingdom of God is that Jesus was born for the purpose of bringing the kingdom of God here to earth. And that's a very important thing. Jesus said, if I'm doing what I do by the power of God, this is that interaction he had with the Pharisees where the Pharisees were saying, Hey, you're casting out demons by Satan. He goes, well, you know, house divided itself Uh, against itself cannot stand he goes but if i'm doing what i'm doing by the power of god then the kingdom of god is in your midst and so we're here to get you fired up about the fact that the kingdom of god is here it's in your midst and as a follower of christ a redeemed believer you're living in it it's time for you to get a little bit salty about life. It's time to, for you to be that overwhelming ray of sunshine mm-hmm. in this dark world. It's when you belong to Jesus and you're living in his kingdom, there's nothing that can stop you. I mean, stop listening to the, the naysayers, the negative neds, the disgruntled, woe is me, small-minded, small-faith people. Stretch those faith wings. Let's get them out there and strengthen them. Stand on the rock. Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, has come into this world. 
He's come to heal. He's come to restore. He's come to establish his kingdom. And that means he's going to rule with justice and righteousness. So the time has come for the people of God to stop bowing down to this world and start standing up, standing firm, being people of courage and confidence in the midst of this lost and broken world. Jesus is the answer, and we are his people. We carry his banner. We will march into the darkest corners of the world, and we're going to shed the light on the greatest evil. We'll bring his healing to those who are most broken. We will see him open the eyes of the blind and make the lame walk. Why? Because Jesus is king. He's not just a little baby in a manger, but he is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. Well, as you can see, the salty pastor is fired up today. And I hope all of you get fired, fired up, up with him as well. What we do makes a difference in this world. How we live, how we pray, how we give, how we serve, all makes a difference. Yes. We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by people. So let's get salty, Pastor. <laughs> we should. I, I want each and every listener, and those of you uh, should be inviting friends to listen, is you need to get saltier. You don't want to become tasteless and neutral and mundane and boring. The saltiest thing that's ever happened on the face of the planet is the incarnation, and I don't mean a breakfast drink. So <laughs> you get that joke? Yes, I yeah. do. Oh, you get I that do. joke. So for our young millennials and Gen Z, why is that so funny? Uh, well, that was the drink my mom drank, uh, yeah. and it was like a weight loss drink or whatever. Yeah, and they it, had it was some, carnation. Yes, they had some. They had some. Uh, it was like a chocolate thing yeah. that you would make up. And they had these commercials, you know, yep, yep. instant carnation. So, yep. so it sounded very close to incarnation. And so I tell people, hey, it's not a breakfast drink. So that's what it's about. But I'm gonna have to quit making that joke because gonna, nobody Pastor, knows what carnation if you have to is anymore. The joke. I don't know that the joke's funny it's anymore. Not funny anymore. So maybe I need to update my material. My material needs to get more salty yes, what do you think about that it does but i'll tell you what the incarnation though is the saltiest thing and uh, isaiah the prophet talked about it in isaiah chapter 9 is really interesting you know isaiah wrote you know five six hundred years before christ was born mm-hmm. and what's so amazing is that there was a group of people called the essenes who lived just north of the dead sea Uh, in kind of caves there, and they were called the Qumran community, and it was built as a trading route. Okay. And so what happened is people would come there from the east, right? They'd cross the Jordan. But they did want to march up the mountains. You've you've been there, and you know from the Dead Sea to Jerusalem, that's a a huge climb up to Jerusalem, like 3,000 feet, and you got to get up. And so they're like, we don't want to climb up there. And then on the other side was the coast, where all the pe- a lot of the people lived. So what happened is the Essenes did something really smart. They said, hey, we're going to be a trading post here. So everybody can come from the east, right? And they give their goods to us. And then people will come down from Jerusalem, right, and do their shopping there or trading there. So, okay. so w- to, in order for them to be effective at this, they had to keep fastidious records. Right. So they kept these records and ledgers and and. They had a huge library of books, and what they did is they kept all of this, and they put it in clay pots, and then they sealed the clay pots with wax, 
uh, and wooden plugs, and then they hid them in caves. And then in 1942, 43, uh, during World War II, a uh, shepherd boy was throwing rocks at these caves, you know, that were up in the cliffs and heard a crash and his dad went up there and they found one of the greatest scholarly finds of ancient antiquity literature that we've ever found. Now, the majority of what they found was a massive amount of, you know, a, a bushel of oats went for this amount, <laughs> yes. you know, kind of thing. A that, lot of that's record, the majority of what they records, found. Yeah, just yeah. records of stuff. But you know, uh, not quite half of it because it was an extensive library. We found all these ancient books. And one of the books they found there was the book of Isaiah. And it is in its, its complete book. So they were able to figure out a way to, to uh, unroll it or cut it apart and put it together in pieces and preserve it. it. Took them about 30 years to figure that out. But it's dated, this copy of the book of Isaiah is dated at 150 B.C., so 150 years before Christ was born. And one of the things in it is really interesting that tells us about the birth of Christ. In Isaiah chapter 9, he starts off with verse 1. He says, oh, no, I'm sorry, verse 2, where he says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. So if you feel like you live in a dark land right now, well, guess what? The light is coming. You will multiply the nation. You will increase their joy. They will rejoice in your presence as with the joy of harvest. As people rejoice when they divide the spoils, for you will break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders. The rod of their oppressor is at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the marching warrior and the roar of battle and the cloak rolled in blood will be for burning and fuel for the fire. For so listen, to, so he's talking about this battle, right? He's talking about this, this incredible, powerful battle that's taking place to, to, to break off the oppression, the mm. yoke, and, and the abuse that's happening, the darkness and the evil. And then verse 6 says, For a child will be born unto us, a child will be given to us, a son, and the government will rest upon his shoulders and his name will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over this kingdom, his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. And from then on and forevermore. And then listen to the last phrase. He goes, the zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Jesus was born to be this king. In verse six, unto us, a child will be born, a son will be given, and on his shoulders will rest the government. So he is the king, and he was born to be a king, and he was born to be a conquering king. Well, and I think that's one of the most fascinating things of just the way we in the Western culture and how the secular world has even kind of influenced us is we make, you know, you lo you always use this example of you're like, I don't, I don't follow the, the little, uh, I don't follow uh, Ricky Bobby Jesus, little sweet baby that's Jesus. Right. I follow the big, powerful revelations Jesus, yeah, right? That's right, it's yeah. Like, he did come yeah. as a baby. Because Ricky Bobby's an idiot. Yes. But he did come as a baby, but that's not where he stayed, right? And that's right. where a lot of people like to think about him is sweet little baby Jesus just sitting in a manger not doing anything. Yes. But Isaiah paints this very different picture. Mm -hmm. And we also see this play out when we read further into the gospel because all of the people that start following Jesus all are expecting him to roll in and start like, 
throw, overthrowing Rome, right? Because mm-hmm. Isaiah has painted this picture of conquering king coming to, you know, destroy the, our oppressors and and divide the spoils and do all of these things. And so when Jesus is like, no, I'm here just to like, I'm he was pretty peaceful in a lot of ways. I mean, he did he was a little salty in some areas, but for the most part, he he wasn't there with swords to fight off the Romans, and that's why they were so confused. We usually get confused when we're reading those verses. We're like, why are they like constantly asking if we're ready to go to war? And and they're referring to this, right, Pastor? They're they're going back to these prophecies from Isaiah where he they say he's going to be this conquering king that's coming in, prince of peace to like really just upend things yeah but just think about their context their context was uh isaiah right was living during the divided kingdom period of time and these were the offspring of king david and king solomon right and so this was the you know they were living under the government of israel right and their heyday was king david and you know, people are looking back and they're like, when, you know, we need to restore King David and King David was what? He was a warrior. Right. Right. And I mean, he, he took out a lot of people for Israel. And so in the new Testament, when they read this, they go, you know, a lot of the apostles were like, oh, this is recreating that. And Jesus is kind of saying yes and no. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And then he says no and yes. And so for them, it was very confusing. And as a matter of fact, if you really dig into the Gospels and you read them numerous times, you start to get the impression is that it wasn't until his resurrection that the disciples finally got it, Mm. right? Even though they'd walked with him, they'd seen all of the miracles. They didn't finally understand the point of the kingdom until the resurrection, And that's why, you know, I always tell people, if you want to understand what's going on, read the book of Luke, right? Right. And then read the book of Acts. If you read those two books, just read them over again, over and over again, until you understand what happened, then you start to realize, oh, everything else starts to come into focus. Even the Old Testament makes so much more sense when you read Luke and Acts and you get kind of the basics of it. So, but that's why we keep going back is they had this, this perspective but you can see that Isaiah is talking in a spiritual sense, right? He really is, whereas they interpret it purely in a physical sense, right. material sense. So, but you look, you, the, the other thing, though, that often happens is you read that in chapter 9 about who Jesus was, right? Yes. But then you've got to read chapter 53, okay. where it talks about what kind of king he is. Because one of the biggest problems that most people have is this, is everybody wants a king, nobody wants to be controlled. Yes. Everybody wants a king, nobody wants to be controlled, yeah. right? Because we like have the, trust they issues. They like the idea of a king, but the actual execution of having a king is a very different experience, yeah, which which we even see in the Old Testament when yeah. they raise up the first king, which was Saul. Saul. Basically, they were like, you don't want to do this. They're like, no, we really do. And we're like, you don't want to do this. They're like, no, we really do. And then they realized we don't want to do this. (laughs) Once they got them, they were like, well, that was a mistake. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting because at at its core, human beings are what? We've been corrupted by sin. Right. So there's no such thing as a king, an earthly king that can actually rule with justice and righteousness. Right. Right? There's always at some point going to be a breakdown. We, We have problems with authority. And so... Listen to chapter 53, 
where he talks about this coming king and the coming kingdom. He goes, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And the arm of the Lord is a Hebrew idiomatic expression, meaning it was, it was about power and might. You know, the right arm was the arm that held the sword. It was the offensive. So it was the, so you, you call it the right arm of justice, you know, which right. meets out the punishment kind of a thing. He goes, who and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of the dry ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look at him, nor an appearance that we would take pleasure in him. Now, going back to your illustration that you just brought up is Saul. They wanted a king. Why did they want Saul? How, what, what did Saul look like when they first picked him? I'm sure he, I believe they described him as very handsome and, and, and huge. He, yeah. Yeah. Big, you know, powerful warrior. He was, yeah. King, right. He was huge. You know, I mean, he towered over everybody else, well over six feet. He, you know, he had a massive sword. I mean, he could just cut down warriors like, you know, chaff, you know, like a sickle yes. going through the wheat. And so they go, aha, he's our champion. You know, he's mm -hmm. massive. But what's so funny is who is he afraid of? Goliath. Yeah. And and who who came out to fight Goliath? David. And at the time he was small. Yeah. David right? was never really that tall. He wasn't a big guy. They called him Ruddy and he was the runt of the litter. But he said, I come with you in the name of the power of the most high, not my own power. And so notice, notice this in, in 53, of the a chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah says that he had no appearance that we should take pleasure in him. So I get the, I get the impression that Jesus grew up as a young man, you know, as a boy and a young man, he wasn't this massive, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger or who's the big guy right now that dominated, you know, John Cena or any of these types of guys yeah. that are just massive, right? The rock, all those guys. Yeah. yeah. The rock. He, he wasn't like that at all. He wasn't impressive in that term. And then it goes on, verse 3, he was despised and abandoned by men. He was a man of great pain and familiar with sickness. And like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised, and we had no regard for him. When he was being punished during the, the Passion, they call it, this, this is the period of torture before his crucifixion, people turned away from him. You know, They despised him. They said, give us Barabbas a convicted murderer over Jesus who'd never hurt anybody. Right. Mm -hmm. And yet they're screaming, give us Barabbas. And then in verse four, listen to this King, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It says, however, it was our sickness that he himself bore and it was our pain that he carried. And yet we ourselves assumed that he had been afflicted, struck down by God and humiliated, but he was pierced for our offenses. He was crushed for our wrongdoings, the punishment of our well-being was laid upon him. And by his wounds, you and I are healed. You see, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. But the Lord has caused the wrongdoing of us all to fall on him. So now what you see is this king that has all this power also willingly humbled himself, right, mm -hmm. to take on are flawed. So instead of coming out to condemn the world, as it says in John chapter three, in verse 17, it says, God did not send his son to condemn the world, right? He sent his son to do what? Save, Save it. it. And so that's why in Luke chapter two, when he was born, 
the shepherds out in the field, what did they see? Uh, listen to verse 13 of chapter 2. says, And suddenly there appealed, appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly army. See, I, we forget that. Is that. Okay, so if you saw an a angel and then a multitude of heavenly angels showed up with you, how would you know they were an army as opposed to just a choir? I mean, they're going to be carrying weapons and armor. They're going to look the part of what we anticipated an army. What an army looks like, yeah. yeah. And he's the king of this army. And what does this army say? It says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among people with whom he is pleased. The point is that Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He was born as a baby to be the ultimate king, to bring in the ultimate government. And he has an army at his disposal, but he willingly came not to condemn and mete out justice. He willingly came to save. Mm. But that doesn't, that does not negate the fact that he is a warrior king with an army at his disposal. Right. I think what's really important to take away from this is we need to be really clear about who it is we follow um, in that he is this mighty, powerful king, right? Like we we yes. see all these, especially I think in like Catholic depictions, um, which are kind of the most prominent depictions of Jesus. It's always just like this really soft, meek, mild Jesus, right? right. Or, mm-hmm. or people always want to paint him in the clouds and he just looks so welcoming and inviting, which is true. That is an aspect of who he is, right? God does welcome and invite us in all ways, but he also isn't planning on losing this war right with satan right and Correct. it is a war and it will require battle and he is a king who is going to go to battle and so he is this powerful mighty king who's ready to fight not just sit back and and hug and love everyone until the other side decides to surrender right yeah and isaiah even talked about that in chapter 42 where he says behold verse 1 says behold my servant whom i uphold He is my chosen one in whom my soul delights, and I have put my spirit upon him. For what purpose? He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bent reed he will not break off, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice." And he will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice on earth. And the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. Uh, there was a movie out quite a while ago with Daniel Day-Lewis called uh, The Last of the Mohicans. Yeah. I, I don't know if you saw it. but It's it, one of my dad's favorites. It, it, it's it. a really great movie. And it, basically, it's about life pre-revolutionary America the interaction with the Indians, um, it's very historically accurate in how strong and powerful in many ways the Indians were. These nations were big, and and so I really like the way they represent that. And part of it is a love story uh, between him and and, uh, this gal. And what happens is at the very end of the movie, you know, she's kind of taken as a prisoner Mm -hmm. by a chief. And what's really interesting is he then comes in to basically parlay with 
the chief for her and her sister was with her their life. And so he basically has the equivalent in the Indian culture of a white flag, even though he is an enemy of this tribe, right? So he takes it and he walks in. Now the Indians start spitting on him and hitting him and even cutting him, right? right. With their knives. Now they're not allowed to handicap him or kill him because he's under a white flag. But that doesn't mean they can't hurl insults at him, cut him, slap him, spit on him, and that's what they do. But he just walks boldly into it, right? That's the image I have because I think, like you were talking about, the Catholic image is that, oh, it just violates our senses of how unfair it is. But I think it misrepresents what Jesus did when he went to the cross is that it was difficult, but he, he did it with strength and bravery. Right. Mm -hmm. Just like Daniel Day Lewis marches into enemy territory to parlay for the woman that he loves. Right. Right. And so he was bringing up justice. Right. So in the same way, Jesus is come into our world, enemy territory, and he's being spit upon and cut and hit and all that kind of stuff. But in the end, he knows you may take my physical life, but you can't take my spiritual my eternal life because i will conquer and i will bring justice right and i will bring righteousness and so i think that that's a really critical difference when we celebrate christmas when we celebrate the birth of christ is that our goal isn't to celebrate the softness of the king but the strength of the king and i think that's critical because when you go into this season right it's a season of love. It's a season of generosity. It's a season of forgiveness. It's a season of community. Mm -hmm. Are those things strong or weak in your mind? I think they're strong. They give us strength. But right? what makes them strong? Each other. Because we are strong. Yes. So what makes us strong? Jesus makes Jesus. us strong. See, because we have a king that took these things and elevated them to what? A place of prominence, exemplified how they worked, right? And so now power and strength isn't the oppression of other people anymore, right? It, it Now the power and strength of the real kingdom is love, joy, giving, generosity, and these are the things we cherish, right? Yeah. Oftentimes we look at violence and oppression and hatred as trauma that we need to heal from. And so that's why I just want to encourage people that all of you this season is that you need to celebrate the strength of the king. And that means I want you to have a season of power and a season of joy. You, you, need, to, you need to celebrate and invest in community that is strong. You need, you need to recapture relationships with people that inspire you and build you up and let you walk deeper in the strength of your faith. Right? Yes. You need to, you need to up your generosity. You know, you need to give more this season. Why? Because that's the strength of generosity. The strength of generosity is not found in withholding. It's found in what? Sharing and giving. Right. So up your generosity. You, you need to up your uh, family, you know, you need to say, I want to work harder to deepen and strengthen my family relationships by enjoying the fullness of what they have, having a sense of gratitude for them. You know, I, I want my kids to understand 
that this season is a season that we celebrate not just good, fun things, but strong, powerful, life-changing things. Mm. And so I think that's critically important is that, is that we get our salty on. We become more salty. And the way we become more salty is we pray more, we share more, give more, we serve more, we love more, we forgive more, we embrace more, we heal more, we restore more. I don't know about you, but when it comes to Christmas, more is better. Yes. So let's get more going. Let's get more. Well, thank you, Pastor, so much for sharing that with us. I'm excited to see where we're going because, again, we're we're celebrating Christ's entry into the world, but this is just the beginning of his story. We need to think about the full part of his story, which is he did go and die on the cross for us. He mm-hmm. did come back and raise from the dead, and he will be coming back as the glorious, mighty king who is going to put everything right. And so mm-hmm. this is a starting of the story, not the end of the story. And we need to make sure we're keeping the whole story in mind as we celebrate this season. So thank you guys so much for joining us. We're excited to talk more about Christmas and all that it means coming up. Um, But join us on Thursday for another episode of the Salty Pastor Podcast. Merry Christmas.